Welcome to Clippings, the official podcast of the Council for Nail Disorders, where Drs. April Schachtel and Catherine Stiff take a closer look at articles and clippings published on all things nail disease. Listeners can suggest articles for this podcast or topics of discussion by sending an email to kristen.cnd at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 26 of the Clippings Podcast, where we review nail papers and share them with you. I'm April Schachtel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Catherine Stiff. Hello, April. All right. My article today is titled, Distinct Patient Characteristics and Pathogenesis of Fingernail-Only versus Fingernail and Toenail Onychomycosis in a Retrospective Single-Center Academic Study. Uh, the authors are Rhiannon Miller and Sherry Lipner, and it was published in January 2023 in the Journal of European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. The goal of the authors was to better characterize fingernail onychomycosis, which is much less common than toenail onychomycosis, but has a much bigger quality of life impact. And they specifically wanted to compare the group of patients who have fingernail only onychomycosis versus those who have toenails also affected the so-called often two foot one hand disease. So they collected data from 89 patients at a single academic center who had fingernail onychomycosis and the diagnosis was suspected based on onycholysis and or onychodystrophy and it was confirmed by a clipping showing PAS positive hyphae infiltrating the nail plate culture and PCR data was collected, and they compared the group that had fingernail-only involvement to the group with the fingernail plus toenail involvement, and it was about 50-50 between the two groups. The fingernail-only group had a significantly higher number of women in it, and the fingernail and toenail group was more likely to have a known history of tinea pedis, which makes sense, nearby infection and toenail onychomycosis go together pretty well. Other factors like history of frequent water exposure, nail biting, or immunosuppression were not significantly associated with having fingernail-only versus fingernail and toenail disease. When they looked at the microdata, they found that the fingernail-only patients were more likely to have disease due to candida species, especially candida albicans, while fingernail plus toenail cases were more often due to dermatophytes, especially trichophyte and rubrum. Terbinafine was the most common treatment used, and it was used equally between the two groups. However, the fingernail-only patients were more likely to be treated with a systemic azole, like fluconazole. Overall, at six-month follow-up, 82% of patients had a complete or partial resolution of their symptoms, and there was no difference based on the presence or absence of toenail involvement. So the overall takeaways are that if a patient has fingernail-only disease, then candida is more likely the cause than dermatophyte. But if they have also toenail disease, then dermatophyte is going to be more likely. Um, because of this, the oral azoles like fluconazole should be considered the first-line treatment for isolated fingernail onychomycosis once it has been confirmed. Um, but because dermatophytes are more common in the combined fingernail-toenail cases, once the onychomycosis is confirmed, the terbinafine should still be the first-line treatment. So uh, this underscores the importance of looking at all 20 nails, even if the patient only presents to you with a fingernail concern. Uh, limitations of the paper would be relatively small size and a single center, so wonder about generalizability. 
Um, but I will say this definitely matches the patterns that I've seen in my practice at a different single academic center. Um, so I always like when published papers confirm my experience. Yes, I agree. This was a nice, nice review. All right, Catherine, tell us what you read about. Okay, so I chose to discuss the article that's very hot in the press right now, uh, DNA damage and somatic mutations in mammalian cells after irradiation with a nail polish dryer by Maria Zivagui. I really apologize for my pronunciation there. <laughs> um, and colleagues from UC San Diego. It was published in Nature Communications on January 17th, 2023. The article starts with a nice review of ultraviolet light. Recall that UV light that reaches the earth is between 280 and 400 nanometers. UVB accounts for 10% of the UV found on earth, while UVA makes up the other 90%. UVA penetrates the skin more deeply and is not absorbed as well by DNA as UVB, and it is a known carcinogen. Prior studies have suggested that UVA causes indirect damage through accumulation of a compound derived from reactive oxygen species. Most of UVA's toxicity is attributed to the use of commercial products such as tanning beds. In more recent years, UV nail lamps for gel nails have increased in popularity. These devices release primarily UVA radiation with a wavelength between 340 and 395 nanometers. This reacts and activates the photo initiators in a gel, causing it to dry quickly. The hands and nails are irradiated for up to 10 minutes per session. And there are approximately 3 million clients getting gel manicures per day, and many change their gel nails every two to three weeks. So it's pretty high exposure. To study the molecular effects of UV nail polish dryers, the authors exposed mouse embryonic fibroblasts, human foreskin fibroblasts, and adult human epidermal keratinocytes to irradiation emitted by a nail polish UV dryer with a wavelength from 365 to 395 nanometers for one, two, or three sessions lasting between zero and 20 minutes. Irradiated and control cells were subject to assays for measuring DNA damage and DNA sequencing. Cell viability was measured 48 hours after the final irradiation. In all cell line models, a single 20-minute irradiation resulted in 20 to 30% cell death, while three consecutive 20-minute exposures caused between 65 and 70% cell death. And the authors very nicely detail their methods and the specific results for the interested listener. Some of the key results include elevated levels of reactive oxygen species, mitochondrial dysfunction, and a dose-dependent increase in mutations in irradiated samples. Now, this study shows that the radiation emitted by UV nail polish dryers can damage DNA and cause genomic mutations. Notable limitations are that all cell lines were missing the cornified layer of the epidermis, which may affect the mutagenesis of UVA radiation, and the accumulation of mutations in cell lines does not provide direct information on carcinogenesis in humans. Notably, UV devices used in nail salons are often more potent than the device used in this study. 
So given the widespread use of UVA nail drying lamps, further large-scale studies are needed to determine the risk of skin cancer of the hand and people who regularly use these devices. This will, of course, have to be a retrospective study because we won't be able to do a, a randomized controlled trial for this. But in the meantime, for any listeners not willing to change their manicure habits, I would recommend wearing uh, fingerless UV absorbing gloves, apply broad spectrum sunscreen with SPF 30 or higher, and try to limit dryer use to the minimum amount of time needed. In addition, uh, a trendy alternative to a gel manicure is the dip powders, which air dry and make those can also last for several weeks. Yeah, I've also heard that um, some folks are using LED lamps as an alternative. Yeah. The problem is probably way worse than we even realize because, like you note, the the lamps in nail salons could be stronger than this, mm-hmm. and they're also totally unregulated. Right. So we really have no sense, you know, even multiple lamps in the same salon might not be the same strength, mm-hmm. and it could be much worse. Yeah, I know. And I was thinking, I mean, something that could result from more studies like this and this becoming more general knowledge is that the salons start providing those UV absorbing gloves, um, the fingerless gloves to give to their clients while they're getting the manicures. Yeah, that would be a really nice uh, safety feature. And I think would um, improve a lot of people's comfort in going to the nail salon, which would be good. That would be great to see. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Catherine, thank you for joining me on this episode of Clippings. I want to thank our listeners for their attention. To all of our listeners, please share this podcast with your colleagues and trainees and let us know how we're doing and which articles you'd like us to review on the show by contacting kristen.cnd at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Twitter at Nail Disorders. <laughs>